The question is, who let the dogs out? Now, the truth is, the Apostle Paul did not write that song. (laughs) But he had something very much the same to say to his friends. I thought that would be an appropriate beginning for us to recall what we just read a little bit ago. Watch out for those dogs. That is exactly what Paul writes to his friends who are in Philippi. We've been in this letter. Mike read the the section, the first nine verses of chapter 3. And he has a great concern for his friends. And a concern, I think I'm getting a little bit of ring back. I backed it off a little bit. He has a concern that his friends are going to be devoured. Now when we talk about these dogs, and, and you see pictures of dogs, we're not talking about the cuddly, furry, friendly pets that we have. We're talking about in that culture and in that time that the Apostle Paul is writing to his friends that dogs are not man's best friend. Dogs are scavengers. They're vicious. They're angry. They're dirty. They're mangy. How many of you have been to other parts of the world where that's true? And you've seen what I'm talking about. And you don't want to get near those dogs. You don't go pet those dogs. Uh, You don't want to have them come close to you, and when they do, you start to get out of the way. And just this past week, some of you followed on Facebook that our son, he's over in Eastern Europe, and one of his team members was bit by a rabid dog. And he didn't know that it was a common thing in that part of the world that everyone gets vaccinated for rabies. And his team members had not been vaccinated. Uh, Ruth uh, got bit by a dog and bit on the leg and so they go to the hospital and they say you know you didn't get the vaccine we're not going to give you the serum because typically if you get bit on the arm you're, you're probably going to die if you get bit on the leg you're, pr- you're probably not going to die <laughs> so that wasn't a real comfort so they had 40 hours the clock was ticking to to go out of the country ended up going to frankfurt and getting the serum and uh, when Ross got back to the country there serving him, the first thing he did is he said, everyone is getting a vaccine. And before that, stay out of the alleys, stay away from dogs. So dogs are viewed as those that devour, those that threaten, those that intimidate. And Paul's message here is watch out for these dogs. And who these dogs are, sometimes he would refer people would refer to uh, dogs as Gentiles or people who are of a different religion or of a different race. But Paul is talking about false teachers, people that will try to convince you of something that's not true and and really to cause you to lose all the joy that God has intended for your life. And so this is what he says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. That's what dogs do. For it is we who are of the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, 
and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Why is Paul addressing this concern? And I think if you come back to the, the overriding theme of the letter, he's writing to his friends and, and the theme is joy. And we've been through this in previous weeks, how that every one of us has a longing within us to be happy. And that's not wrong. Sometimes we feel guilty about that. We feel guilty about wanting to be happy. But God created us with that desire to be happy. And God wants that for us. He wants that to be a reality in our lives. So he says this in, in the first verse when, when he says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So what he's talking about is in his teaching, repetition. I'm going to go over this again, and I'm going to go over this again, and I'm going to go over this again because I love you and I care about you. And what he says here further, really meaning finally, not like he's at the end of his letter, but he's saying finally, I want you to get this big idea, the big idea of my whole letter, is I want you to rejoice always. Or if we were to say in our way of talking, be happy always. Now, that's impossible unless something supernatural happens. You can't be happy all the time. Every day, every circumstance, we talked about the, those that would rob us of our joy, those that would, would, would take away the, uh, the ability to be able to have a joyful experience. And we talked about people, how people can rob you of your joy. We've talked about how certain circumstances or the, the uncertainty of the future can cause you to lose your joy. So he, he's coming back to this and he's saying the only way that you can have joy, happiness always is when your focus is on a right view of God. Now let me just go back to that concept because when I focus on having my joy in people, what's going to happen? People disappoint you. We all know that. We all know that from experience. That happened to you this week. People are going to let you down. So if I have an expectation that if I put my, my, my joy and my, my confidence in people, it's going to be riding a roller coaster. The same with putting your, your hope for joy in the circumstances. All it takes is bad news coming your way. And you know what? Rarely do we go through a week where there's not bad news that comes our way. And what does that do? It plummets us with our joy. We can't be joyful always. So if I'm, if I'm looking to be happy in relationships, and I'm looking to be happy with a good set of circumstances, and I'm looking to be happy with a very secure future that I hope that I have, uh, we're going to be disappointed. How is it that then a right view of God will settle your soul with contentment, give you peace that is always, and joy that is constant? It is because when you see God as He is, He is all-powerful, He is all-wise, and He is good. And, and we could go on and on and on. But think about this. If God knows everything, 
And he has all power to do his will. And everything God does is good. Everything. And you have your focus on him. You're secure. You're at peace. You have contentment and joy. But let's say, let's just take one of those attributes away. You know, God is really smart and he's real powerful, but he is not very nice. Okay, that changes everything, doesn't it? Or if we were to say God is really good and he knows everything, but he is just not able. He's not capable to handle this. But God is sovereign. And when we say that, that big, heavy, loaded word, sovereign, we mean that God is eternal. He is self-existent. He is all-powerful. He is good in everything He does and merciful and gracious and kind. And He is working every single thing for His glory and our good. Now, to the degree that I believe that, to the degree that I see it and I believe it, rides my joy. If I'm not seeing it, and I'm not believing it, then I start this downward spiral. So this is the context that Paul has for his friends. He's saying, you're listening to these people, these dogs, these false teachers, these leaders, and they are out to destroy your life. Now, they cannot steal away your salvation because salvation is not by works. If you are God's child, they can't make you not God's child. They can't rob you of your eternal life. They cannot rob you of your eternal security. But they can rob you of your joy. These dogs can make you miserable. They bite. <laughs> okay? They have rabies. They devour. And I think that's what we need to understand is that this, this whole letter is a letter of encouragement. I want to encourage you to get a right view of God to see Him in all of His fullness and then be settled and at peace with knowing Him. And while you live in a world that is up and down and relationships broken and people disappointing and, and all the things we face, these things will not shake you like they shake others because you rest and you trust in the beauty and the greatness of our God. Now these false teachers, they're an interesting lot because they appear to be extremely religious. <laughs> and that's what's so tough. Good, religious, knowledgeable, authoritative, and they start telling you stuff. And you keep hearing it. And it sounds like, it's, it's kind of like, well, I, I saw it on TV, so it must be true. You get it enough. And what the false teachers were, were doing was they were putting this burden upon these believers that they had to do this and do this and do this and do this to get to heaven. And they had to do this and do this and do this and do this to please God. So what they put on them was a burden of rules and regulations. Paul will also call these laws, putting all these laws and rules and regulations. And so that's why he says, it's no trouble for me to write to you the same things again. It is a safeguard for you. You watch out for these dogs, these evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. 
And the reason he, he talks about mutilators of the flesh, of course, he's talking about dogs that devour. But then you're going to see in the next part of that verse the word circumcision. And he said the, they are teaching circumcision. Now I realize that that's not, you don't hear a lot of sermons on that on Sunday morning on circumcision. In fact, I still, in a Bible college, one of my friends who is a professor was teaching a mixed class and in a Bible college, and one of the college girls raised her hand and asked, what is circumcision? It's <laughs> a little bit awkward. It is a surgical procedure done on young boys typically, but it has a spiritual context, especially for the Jews. This was something they did on the eighth day, that every Jew male was to be circumcised and it was what I would call a physical expression of a spiritual reality, okay? Circumcision is a physical expression of a spiritual reality. The same with baptism. When we talk about baptism, whatever mode or whatever meaning the person ties, we're going to go back to the fact that it is a, phys a physical thing that we do that communicates something spiritual, and this is what God commanded all of, all of the Jews to do. And this is how I'm going to show that you are mine. But it was part of what we would call a system of all of these laws. And we could say, well, there, how many laws were there? You say, well, there were ten, ten commandments. Oh, no, there are a whole lot more than that because the Jews had this creative art of adding more rules to help God out. And so there ended up being over 600 rules. Isn't that, isn't that really encouraging when people say, you know what, God does not have enough rules. And so we can, we can create some more to really help people understand what happens. And that's why Paul talked about these religious leaders who throw burden and burden and burden upon people of keeping all of these laws, these rules and regulations. And here's how Jesus described all of these laws. They were a shadow of things to come. Okay? They were a shadow of things to come. He also described them as a schoolmaster. And we read about that, and Paul writes about that in Galatians. And a schoolmaster was not so much someone who was teaching a class, but he was taking the hand of a young boy, okay, and leading him to school. So we're going to go all the way over here, and I'm taking this boy to school. Now, the concept is this. The law, schoolmaster, grabs the hand of a young boy. And you know, you teach your kids the same way. You know, you don't, you don't have a lot of discussions with them. You just kind of tell them what to do. The law just kind of tells you what to do. And the law brings you along and introduces you to a person. Who is that person? Well, the person is Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all the law. Now, once you have the person, you no longer need all of the laws. Doesn't mean you become lawless, no. But the law served a purpose to bring you to Jesus Christ. And so Christ now is the fulfillment of all the law, and we come into to what was once a following a list of do's and don'ts to entering into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, 
as your personal Savior, you recognize this, that all of the law has been kept now by Him for you. He's done that. And you are no longer under the supervision of the law. In other words, you're not guided by the law. You're guided by Christ. Now, this appeal, though, to people who believe that, and I, I talk to people that say, you know what, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, you're still very susceptible to dogs who come along and say, you know what, now if you really, if you really want to live a good Christian life, I mean, if you want to get like from here to here, then I've got a list for you. Now, this list has all the things you need to start doing. And if you do these things, do this and this and this and this, then God is going to be more pleased with you. Now, what's even more exciting is you turn it over on the other side of the things we don't do. And we don't do this, we don't drink, we don't chew, we don't smoke, we don't go with girls that do. I've got all the lists. And you know what? We like our lists. And I think it does, it does two things for us. One, when we keep our list, we really feel good about ourselves. I mean, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And, and I, I've got, I checked that off. You know, I did this and I, and I didn't go here and I didn't do that bad thing and I did do this. And, I, and so I've, I'm, I'm filling out all this, my do's and don'ts list. And, I, and I'm, two things will happen. Either I'm really lifted up in pride and thinking I'm real special. Or, I didn't keep any of these today, <laughs> and I'm in the pits. So either we have this sense of pride, which will rob all of us of joy. Did you know that? Pride will destroy joy. Or, I'm in depression, because I can't do anything right. I try to keep this list. And you know, this kind, of, this kind of Christian is a problem everywhere he or she goes. Because you, you not only judge yourself by this list, you judge everybody else by this list. And you're kind of looking at people. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. Now, here's what Paul's saying. This is destructive to your lives. It will rob you of your joy. And... You need to have a faith and belief in Jesus Christ and see God as He is and living the Christian life and living the life is not going to be a chore. It's going to be a, like a giant thank you for what He's done for you. That's what happens. It becomes a giant thank you. I don't stop doing stuff and start doing stuff because I have to to get to heaven. I stop do doing stuff and start doing stuff because I just love the Lord. It, it, he changes your heart. He makes you a new creation. He changes your desires. Now, I know some people say to me, oh, now, if you get rid of that list, we are going to have chaos. No, no. When Jesus Christ, when you love the Lord, you know what the kids were singing this morning? When you love the Lord with all your heart, then you, you live that way. Now, you as parents, you know, you could give your kids, you could, and I'm sure you have a lot of lists for your kids, and it's okay when you're, when you're walking to school. It's just so we have that clear. 
for the parents of the young ones, it's okay to be giving them some law as you're leading them along to Christ. But there comes a time when you start praying, Lord, I just pray that my son or daughter loves you and loves others. That's why Jesus said you can sum up all the laws, all the 600 laws, all the Ten Commandments in this. Love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And that takes care of stealing and murder and adultery. It takes care of all those things. But the motive is not fear. Do you understand that? The law brought fear. The law brought bondage. The law brought pride because I did it. The law brought discouragement. Now, is the law bad? No. Look, law's not bad. The law accomplished a good thing, but what the law was meant to do has, has been done. It's done now that you know Christ. You have all that you need. I think that one of the things that as I was preparing for this week started to think back about world religions. And I think that, that there are many, many religions. How do, you, how do you even distinguish Christianity from all of these religions? And, I, and to be honest with you, I think it, it could get confusing with people because you go into to, to like to India and you have millions of gods. But I would say that there is a fundamental distinction between all world religions and Christianity. And this is very simple, a very simple concept. If we were to take all of the world religions and sum them up, it'd be this way. It's all about what you do. It's all about what you do. So whatever the religion is, and I'm not going to spend time digressing into all the religions, the, the, that religion will have a system of what you need to be doing right? It's going to have a doctrinal statement. It's going to, you need to be, and, and it's all about do. Christianity is different. It is all about done. It's all about done. There is nothing that we can do. And see, this is what, what I think that we need to, to, to grasp that we can work and work and work and work and work and do and do and do and find all of these other religions and it does not resolve the two problems that we've never been able to resolve, that we are sinners and we're going to die. And in case you haven't checked at the last picture they took on your driver's license, you have aged a little bit, <laughs> okay? And you know you're a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. It doesn't take me long. It doesn't take me even get through one minute of the day for me to realize I am a sinner. And I'd love to change that. And all of the good things that I go do and do and do and do don't change the fact that I'm a sinner and that someday this body is going to die. So I can't, all the doing is not going to accomplish it, but done. What Jesus Christ did is that He took care of our sin. He took care of our sin when He died on the cross. He took all the sin upon Himself. And He paid for it. So He dealt with your sin. And He also dealt with your death 
when he rose again and conquered death. No other religion in the world has a resurrected Savior. And I think one of my friends was telling me how he came to Christ. I was asking him, what was it? He said, I'll tell you what it was. He said, I was a skeptic, at least an agnostic. And he said that I did not believe. There are a lot of things in the Bible I didn't believe. But when I started looking at the resurrection, he thought there's too much evidence supporting the resurrection not to believe this. There's too much evidence. And he said, I believe. <laughs> we have a resurrected Savior. So Jesus conquered sin in his death, and he, and he conquered death by his resurrection in his life. So here's what I would say. Good people don't go to heaven. Now, I know that may shock some of you. I hope it shocks you. But it is true. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Because there is no one who's good but God. Isn't that true? So how can you being a sinner by birth, you're a sinner, you inherited it, by choice, that's painfully clear. How can someone who's been soiled by, by this world and by sin ever into a perfect heaven with their sin? You can't unless that gets resolved. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He resolved the sin and death issue. So who goes to heaven? Forgiven people. <laughs> forgiven people. And I need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven. And because your parents were forgiven, or you go to a church where people are forgiven, none of these things will change yet. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Now, how, So here's, here's the million dollar question. How do I get forgiven? How do I get forgiven? You ask. You ask, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Thank you. Thank you. And that's why I say the whole Christian life is a giant thank you. So you say, well, should Christians live better than other people? Absolutely. But it's not because they have to. It's because they want to. It's an expression of thanksgiving, of joy that they have. Now, Paul had his own experience in this. And I, we, read, we read that in verses 3 to 6. He says, For it is we who are of the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. And then, and then he goes on to say, Though I myself would have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons for to put confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, who were the, they were like the religious elite of the day, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So here's what Paul, Paul's not trying to brag, but he's saying, listen, if anybody was religious, it was me. Okay? I mean, a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was circumcised, I was religious, I kept all the law, I did all of these things. <laughs> so if anybody's going to boast on what they what were doing, it'd be me. 
If we compared it today, we'd say, well, I'm being moral and religious and I'm benevolent, giving all my money, faithful, zealous, hardworking, reputable, baptized, taking communion, going to church. Now, wouldn't you typically think, now, that's the kind of person that's going to go to heaven. Who's going to go to heaven? Well, moral, religious, kind, benevolent, faithful, zealous, hardworking, reputable, baptized, communion-taking, going-to-church people are going to go to heaven. But like I said, good people don't go to heaven. If that were the case, and they really were good, they'd go to heaven, but good people don't go to heaven. The problem is, we're still sinners. <laughs> That's it. We're still sinners. So if, if, I, if I'm a sinner and I go do a, a thousand good things, a million good things, a billion good things, I'm still a sinner. It doesn't change who I am. So Paul said, if anybody could boast, I could boast. And a final thought that he has and I, I put up this, beware of the, those dogs. Beware of those dogs. And I like the picture that we have of this because we have, I'm not picking on these dogs because I, actually I do like dogs, not these kind of dogs. I like rabid dogs, scavengers, devourers. What are they guarding in that picture? Okay, garbage. Now, did, you, did anybody ever tell you that garbage is in the Bible? It's in, right in here. Paul talks about garbage. <laughs> I'm messing with you a little bit. He says in verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, that means doing all this good stuff, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And, he, and, and, and then he says, I have lost all things. For the sake of Christ, I have lost all things, and I consider them garbage. He says that. He says, I consider all that I've done, all my good deeds, all of my works. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Hebrew. I've done this. I, I don't do this. I've got my list. I consider all my list. It's garbage. It's garbage. Because it doesn't save. It doesn't liberate. It doesn't set you free. And it certainly doesn't bring you joy. But Jesus brings joy. Why? Because He washes away your sins. He gives you new life. He prepares for you a home in heaven. And it's a sure thing. And He proves it over and over again to you. He proves Himself to you so your life is you, is you gaze upon God, your view of God through Christ, because of Christ. Your heart is full of praise and thanksgiving and joy. That's why Christians, the very first thing that ought to mark a Christian is they're joyful. The fruit of the Spirit is love, What's the first manifestation? Joy. You know, it's sad to say that people who call themselves Christians are some of the most depressed, discouraging, critical, negative, judgmental people. You know why? You know why Christians get critical and hypocritical 
and negative and condescending and judgmental. You know why they get that way? Because they've been listening to the dogs. Dogs have been devouring them, taking them from grace and freedom to law and to bondage. So it becomes a great expression of thanks. My prayer for you would be the same as what Paul had for these people, that not only do you come to know God through Jesus Christ and what He has done, that you would be free from this quest to do, to do, to do. That you'd not listen to those people who want to give you another list. That you'd realize that all the things that you've done, there's no reason to take pride. And there's no reason to be in total discouragement. So I'd leave you with this thought. Don't lose your joy. Don't lose your joy. Your joy is wrapped up in God, expressed through Jesus Christ. And when you think on Him and what He has done for you and what He continues to do for you, there is such, such cause for praise. And then there is from within a desire to live for Him. And the joy is because, you know what? I know I'm getting old and I'm going to die. Did you know this? You're getting old. You're getting old, and you're going to die. And then what? Well, when you know it's already settled, I'm already forgiven, I'm already God's child, and even facing something like that, you can have joy. So don't lose your joy. Beware of the dogs. They will appeal to you because you have a flesh that likes lists. You do. And you like to use them on other people. Be aware of the dogs and believe. Look and believe. Believe. And usually we've said, I've mentioned this before, when I lose my joy, when I start to falter in my life, when I start to struggle along, there's either one of two things. There's something I'm not seeing about God or there's something I'm refusing to believe. And we have so much to joy in even through hard times, even with difficult people, even when you lose a loved one, even when you hear about an incurable disease, there is something, this happiness is deep-seated. It rests on God, and it's eternal, and that's what God wants for you. Let's bow together as we pray. Now, I've felt the burden of Paul to warn, to watch out for the dogs because they do rob you of your joy. And I'm not sure this past week of what may have come into your life, what experience may have come into your life that would have taken away your joy, your peace, your contentment. But I know this, that Satan's a dog. So what he wants to do is destroy that for you. And there are false teachers everywhere. You pray that God would bring you back to that place where you start opening up your Bible and reading through the Gospels and, and, and seeing truths about God and how He loves you. It's just amazing. 
it'll encourage you, it'll help you. And I, and I want to leave you this Sunday with, with that thought this week to just start finding Jesus in the Bible and getting to know Him beyond just academic knowledge, but personal experience, to know Him personally. You know, Satan knows about God. You, he knows God he, academically. A lot of people know about God academically, but you, do you need to know Him personally? By making Jesus your Savior, by saying, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. What, you, what you've done, I, I accept for me. I believe. I believe in you as my Savior. All the joy that flows from that and can continue to flow from that as you look on Him. Father in heaven, I pray in my own life, I pray for every person here. You want us to be full of joy in you. You're concerned about the dogs that would seek to devour us and rob us of our joy. Help us get back to where we we look at you and find that peace and that subtleness for the needs that we have Lord we know you can carry those bear those up and help us through in Jesus name amen as we come to the conclusion of our services week to week we want you to know that we we always want to make ourselves available to talk after the service or anytime during the week about things that God's doing in your life, Um, how he's teaching you, helping you to grow. That's been our theme this year is grow, grow. We're not talking about a building. We're not talking about programs. We're talking about you. We're talking about you grow in your walk with the Lord. That's what we want. That's what we're praying for.